An Altar on the Village Green From Book One of The Chained God Written by Nathan Hall Narration, Music, and Sound Design by Alex Schiffer Three, a city in chains. No one joined me in the sanctuary the next morning. Even the high canter had bid me farewell the night before. As I stood near the entrance, working up my courage to approach the shining anchor, I found myself thinking again of Olmia. In the twenty years since my family had fledded, I had returned to Olmia only once, during my studies for the church. Time had dulled the shapes and colors of my memory, but the rush of waves against its beaches, the salt of the sea, and the sun in the sands between my toes had all felt like home. And yet everything else had been strange enough to threaten. Their temples were sandstone and glass. The square links of my god's chains, too harsh and flat for fluted columns and tall arches. My god wasn't one for such artifice. The lances they'd celebrated were ones whose names I'd never heard, and their rites had tasted bitter as they fell from my lips. The people had been every bit as sunny as the scorching sands and glimmering waves not only because of my ties to the Church of Chains. Some of them had looked at me and seen the child on the beach chasing after burrowing crabs. To them, I was family. Long assumed lost, welcomed with celebration. I remembered those crabs better than the people who had embraced me. I'd even sent a letter to the High Cantor, requesting, begging, be transferred somewhere closer to Yimrit, closer to home. When he rightfully denied me, I'd completed my studies in a hurry, and barely packed enough for the journey before fleeing once more. If I ever laid eyes on Olmia again, I'd find an open-air mausoleum among the sand, the buildings sun-bleached and hollow like old bones. My childhood home now housed only horror. Was it the dead in Olmia or the living in Yimrit that weighed more on my chest? The sun streamed in through high unshuttered windows onto empty aisles and vacant pews. The quiet of the old stones was heavier than the distant birdsong, but it wasn't the patient, peaceful quiet I had come to take for granted. Instead, this morning, it was plaintive, desperate. The leather straps around my torso were an unfamiliar pressure. The blade and sheath a strange weight. The flask hung from around my neck, filled with the chain god's ichor, and the book was nestled in a small pack. I was a lance. A giddy part of me wanted to cleave through the air with the sword, like I had with sticks growing up. 
I dreamed of it, slaying monsters and bringing comfort to the suffering. A hero like those before me. Another part wanted to crawl into a wardrobe and hide. Something I'd not done since long before I'd fought with sticks. In moments, I would begin my journey toward the countless fallen lands. Toward horror. Toward fear and madness. Violence and death. The High Cantor was right. I didn't know what awaited me. No one did. Was what awaited me the horror that had consumed Olmia? An entire kingdom? My one-time home? People who had welcomed me like family, even as I sneered at their customs? Whatever madness had consumed Olmia, whatever deaths the people were forced to relive endlessly, they deserved to be freed from it. I wanted to believe that was where my god would send me. But the kingdom by the sea was not alone in being trapped in madness and death. Hundreds, thousands of horrors awaited a lance to free them. Droplets of rain and a storm that would drown the world. No matter where I was sent, the world needed to be reminded that hope wasn't for our parents. That we hadn't inherited a slow slipping into darkness. Our god hadn't abandoned us. Retracing my steps from the evening before, I found myself at the foot of the dais. My mind's eye traced the anchor down through many feet of redstone and slate, into the tall chamber beneath the church, down to my god, chained and bleeding. The high cantor was right. There was a stark difference between knowing something and understanding it. From my first days in the church, as a child, I had been taught that our god had chained itself in solidarity with the fetters of humanity. It suffered so that we would not suffer alone. Knowing was one thing, but seeing the anchors piercing its flesh seeing Ikor trickle from opened wounds. The world knew that our god was chained, but who else knew what would be beneath our very feet? That this anchor was joined with its very flesh, that by bleeding at this edge, we bleed with it. I nicked my finger on the point, the pain hardly registered. The night before, I had sensed a moment of connection. I had half seen a light around the anchor. What I sensed now was the sun to last night's moon. As my blood dripped into the pool of Ikor, the anchor's lines of metal glinted vermilion. The color of the anchor throbbed against my skin, like pressing hard on a new bruise. I could have found the anchor in the dark by following the pain. Another pressure stabbed at me, distant but far more painful. I turned toward the unbroken winestone of the cathedral, past the great city of Ymrit, beyond fields and forests. Beyond my memory of maps or travels, 
a crosshatch of crimson lines like those of the anchor, reached out to bite into my mind like a straight razor. The fallen land. Not Olmia, the knowledge, instant and sure, churned in my gut. Saving Olmia was what I needed. But it was another place, almost in the exact opposite direction that my god needed me to go. Somewhere even closer. I'd known that the fallen lands had been expanding for centuries. Scholars in the church were filled with impotent outrage that it ate us in small bites, as though the world were an apple. Nonetheless, I hadn't expected Har to sit within a week's easy walk. The dead in Olmia had turned the concept of those lost in horror into a pressing reality. Now I found that those dead felt more real, more pressing, than whatever awaited for me at my god's bidding. My god's gifts were on me now, the abilities of a lance at my fingertips. Could I ignore the call like a razor's touch from the place my god wanted me? Could I instead try to free the kingdom of sand and waves? Could I ignore any command of my god? As soon as I had the thought, I recoiled from it. Traitorous, blasphemous, selfish, faithless and foolish. My god had chosen my destination for a reason. Perhaps I would save even more people from even greater suffering than whatever darkness loomed in Olmia. I would never know if I disobeyed, and if I fell forever. I would rather do it in service than in dereliction. After another sip of Igor, after another moment of agony beyond bearing, as the nick of my fingertip healed, and after refilling my flask at the altar, I left the sanctuary. The rest of the church seemed almost as quiet as the sanctuary had been. No churchgoers, or petitioners, no pages running along on tasks ordered by their betters, no sounds or smells of breakfast. The church seemed to be a single entity, holding its breath. Was my god holding its breath? Leaving the church, I nodded goodbye to a guard I knew by sight and not by name. The chain and anchor of the church seemed fitting on tabards over steel breastplates. In a way, I suppose I was a soldier, too. The heat of summer hadn't quite struck the day, and the mountain air provided just enough bite to be refreshing. Ymrit was alive and bustling. I drank in the noise of daily life. Children playing, people laughing. The troubles eating at the larger world had not touched here. Townsfolk knew my outfit recognized the blade. Children cheered as I once might have cheered. Being looked at as a hero felt unreal, impossible. Adults smiled and clapped, but with a shadow over their features. They had to know that none of the lances had been successful in thirty years. Seeing me would make them think of the fallen lands, 
of the suffering therein, of their own helplessness. I quickened my step. Following the broad avenue east, it didn't take me long to reach the city walls. The east gate opened to masses pleading for food, pleading for medicine, pleading for entrance, pleading for hope. Despite my own work and that of dozens like me, there was never enough of anything they sought. Clothes that had once been fine could no longer be told from clothes that had never been but rags. I could only discern the once rich, sometimes by loose skin that starved away fat and had left sagging. For a short time, even poverty favored the rich. But all too soon, the outer city taught that the only real prosperity was a bed for children and breakfast in the morning. Seeing my clothes, a woman with tangled, unwashed hair and clothes hanging off thin shoulders pushed a child toward me. The child sniffed, his eyes too wide, but didn't cry. Please, Paige, my boy will serve. Take him back with you. A dozen other cries from a dozen desperate parents followed. Children pushed forward whether too old to be pledged as a page or nearly too young to walk. My face stung as if slapped. I opened my mouth to speak, but one of the guards manning the gate turned the woman away, then addressed all the parents at once. The Lance is on official business. A hush fell over the crowd at the word Lance. A hundred faces took in the sword on my back. Cheers went up from a scattered handful, but mostly I received the same quiet evaluation as those inside the city. The same unspoken fear. You know that's not how it works. Anyway, wait for the pledging if you're certain. He nodded to me, his silver and gold mustache curving in a smile, and nodded in return. Denying their children a chance to become a page was hard, even if only until sixth day. Looking into the child's eyes, seeing my own face reflected, I'd seen Cantor Araz, still straight-backed in middle age, towering over me. I'd heard the same cries from my mother's lips, the same offer of service. The high Cantor had remembered me come pledging. Sometimes I wondered where I'd be if not for his pity. Out here beyond the gates, I suppose, in whatever outer city room we had managed that week. No one offered me their children now, out of respect, or because wherever I was going, it suddenly wasn't so sure to be better than the threat of starving. The guards started to make an opening for me, through the throng. But the people didn't need any encouragement. They parted like great doors opening. I kept my hand on the strap of my small pack as I moved through the opening, mindful of the tug from a would-be thief. But there was no need. No one came within arm's reach. Even if they had to press back painfully against the rest of the crowd, like great doors, 
the crowd closed behind me, once I was well and truly into the outer city. Ymrit was a city of eras, cluttered and unclear at first glance, but studying the rings of fallen trees told tales of disease and injury and surveying lairs of a cliff face was like looking back through time. The history of Ymrit too could be gleaned, if one knew how to read it. The church predated the city. It was easy to see how. At first in a sprawl, and then through planning, the city had sprouted from it. The outer walls were a final statement of Ymrit's stability. The streets beyond the city's walls might have been mistaken for a normal town fallen on hard times. Wooden buildings stood tall and wide, thatched roofs tended just well enough not to fail. Boarding houses for thousands of refugees drawn to the promise of safety in the city's shadow. The outer city had existed for decades. Beyond were buildings like the same painting from a less talented hand. The roughshod, haphazard, and sometimes slumped houses were crammed so close together that they seemed to lean into each other over slender alleyways. Looking at them made me suddenly aware of scars and callus from summer weeks helping to build them. Ugly as they were, every room meant more people not sleeping in tents or in the open. The section of the outer city told tales of a church overwhelmed, but still revered. A city that still bound itself to feeding and clothing and housing those outside its walls, to lessening suffering even as horror spread. Helping those suffering was not a charity for our own distraction. It was a guideline, to be clutched all the tighter as light faded. These buildings and thousands of refugees from kingdoms collapsed from the strain of horror had only existed in my lifetime. In another couple weeks, I might have been called to help build more. Ahead, the camps rolled in amorphous masses for miles, an ever-growing, ever-changing city of new arrivals, a place where murders were done over hard bread or tattered blankets. Cities fell to madness forever, kingdoms collapsed, treaties burned and taxes withered. Trade was a rare treasure. The world had slid gradually but ever more swiftly out of balance. Hope was wounded on the roadside, bleeding, breaking itself further just to breathe, just to move. It was visiting the refugees out among the tents, seeing the final flat dark of hope dying in their eyes that broke me. Every day we left people starving or huddled in the rain was another failure. But the dread at facing them wasn't why I stopped a few streets from those outer fringes. At what stood for a pub. New arrivals sometimes came with money. And always with a need to forget what they'd seen. The crystal tower was as carelessly constructed as any other building. It had been a storehouse for excess grain. Back when we'd had excess. Despite having windows cut out at the sides, drinking here still felt like trespassing, 
Its floor was rough planks. Its seats empty boxes. Its tables nailed together hunks of warped wood. The bar at the back, at least, was sanded. But the swill they sold resembled mead as much as the lopsided mugs resembled proper glasses. Near one window, an old man and an older woman argued good-naturedly. Out of the way, as a middle-aged woman I thought I recognized scrubbed the tables clean. Everyone glanced my way once started to resume what they were doing, and then fell still as they looked again. If the man scrubbing the mugs noticed their reactions, he didn't show it. Chavor's eyebrows rose when he saw me, but by the time I reached the bar, his face held a real warmth. Have you been? Haven't seen you since last fall. If you're looking for... Had it really been almost a year since I'd last seen her? Shame burned along my jaw, up my cheeks, stinging my eyes. Chavard stopped talking. I realized his eyes fixed on the hilt sticking over my shoulder. Glad for the distraction, I turned so he could get a better look. Even as Chavor spoke, his face seemed pulled between different emotions. Relief, fear, envy, gratitude. Does that make you brave or foolish? Coming from anyone else, the question would have been an insult. It makes me desperate, I said in a voice that others in the pub wouldn't overhear. I read your resignation. What, six years later? And the high canter still complains about your wasted potential so often, I thought I'd see why. You call it a city in chains. I was trying to be poetic, Chaver chuckled, an almost defiant sound. Nodding to the sword at my back, he said, Succeed or fail, you're braver than I. I'd be lying if I said I hadn't considered following in your footsteps leaving the church to pursue my own way of easing suffering, I meant, but I looked around the room. I wouldn't know the first thing about running a pub. Chaffer leaned close. Neither do I. I smiled, but it was short-lived. I couldn't avoid the reason I was here forever. It looks like she's not in. He sighed. No, sorry. She hasn't worked here in a while. Less people can afford drinks, with everything happening. Do you know where she's staying? No. His brow knitted. Would you want me to tell her if I see her? I tapped my fingers on the bar, uncertain. Nothing, I said finally. Thanks anyway, Chavor. I'm sorry I couldn't help. I'll pray for you at the anchor. I waved goodbye. As I turned to leave, a thought hounded me. It had been almost a year since I'd seen my mother. After she had given me to the church, I'd seen her every week. Her smiles had been fragile things, frozen and cracking. Soon she'd come once a month and then on feast days. By the time I started learning the sword, 
she stopped coming altogether. I'd only seen her on my trips to the outer city. Even then, there'd be a wall between us, built from decisions she made from when I had been too young to decide for myself. Seeing her out here, barely keeping food in her stomach, my smiles must have been no more real than hers. I found myself almost relieved that I couldn't find her. What would I say? That I forgave her? How could I? That I resented her? For giving me a better life? A life that stung of betrayal? Of rejection? Whatever her sacrifices? The last conversation I had with her had been in passing. Short and without consequence. We made plans that neither of us had intended to keep. She seemed happy. If I never got to see her again, maybe that was a blessing. In her mind, I might ignore her. But I was alive, safe, not trapped forever in some horror that I had sought out. That was what I told myself, in any case. Maybe she'd never learn that I had doomed the world with the weight of my own inadequacy. As I reached the door, a voice stopped me short. Paige? Or I mean Lance? I turned to find the woman who'd been cleaning the tables now wringing the rag nervously. I scrambled blindly for a name to put to the worry-worn face. Sheena? Shima? She corrected me with an apologetic smile. I overheard you're Avara's child, are you not? Do you know where she is? I asked. Was the thing sprouting in my stomach hope or dread? She's taken up knitting blankets. There's a place near the wall. Ah, I said. For the church to pass out. You know the place? I've handed out blankets, but I don't know the building. Shima looked out to the bar, but Chaver was already waving us on. Shall we? I asked with a smile I didn't feel, following her out onto the street. As I'd left the inner city before, even during my brief stop at the pub, it had been easy to tell myself that I was on my way to the fallen land, following Shima away from the ache of distant horror, however... I had to concede that I was putting my own needs above those of my god. Every moment I delayed, people in the fallen land remained trapped in madness and fear, suffering and death. That could not stop until I freed them. The people we passed on the street often didn't see that the last lance was walking their streets. Their posture was too familiar, heads down, shoulders squared as if the dying world were a weight on their backs. I was reminded of Chaver's resignation, the phrase by which they had become known, a city in chains. Ymrit had never suffered horror, not one as large as a city nor as small as a room. Not a single person had ever needed to be freed, since before there was a wall, or a city for that matter. Ymrit was a place of safety, stability, order. From the shelter our god provided, we sent our lances to spread peace and sanity, or we once had. 
Chaver contended that the walls of Yimrit had long ago become a cage, that our safety had become fetters, that we were too complacent even as horrors closed in from all directions. If the rest of the world fell, Yimrit would create horrors all our own. Your mother talks about you, you know, Shima said. She left behind the cleaning rag, but she wrung her skirt just as ruthlessly. At the time, she's told me so many stories. Has she? I didn't intend for my words to sound so incredulous, or for the next to sound so bitter. She seems to do all she can to forget about me. Forget you? The very idea seemed to scandalize her. Why, she'll tell everyone who will listen how you earned this link or that. Her favorite is the time you prevented the riot and exposed the corrupt captain. How old were you then? I felt my face heating. Fourteen. I heard he was going to have the archers fire on the crowd. He was going to try. The remembered rage and terror of that day, even now, was like throwing back a hard drink. There wouldn't have been riots at all if he hadn't been selling food for his own profit. Unlike other cities and neighboring kingdoms, hangings for criminals were in public entertainment. Even for the page who had brought charges against the guard captain, observing the sentence being carried out was discouraged. We weren't to delight in others' suffering. From a balcony looking out of the hanging ground, I had watched as his feet stopped kicking. Pulling away from the memory, I said. I get too much credit. He was basically shouting his guilt to all who would listen. Was he? The woman was too overawed by me to contradict me. I hope she's here, I said, changing the subject. The wall stood taller than the two or three-story buildings beside it. We had to be close to our destination. Oh, if not, I can show you where she stays. That's generous of you, but the fallen lands beckon. I've delayed too long already. Of course, Shima said. I took a breath of warm air. The heat was just beginning to press on the day. In the noise of the outer city was a kind of normalcy, an illusion of health. In the silence of our walk, I could savor it, could pretend for just a moment. What is it like? The pull of the fallen land. A sigh escaped before I could stop it. Have you ever held your hand close enough to a fire to sting, but not enough to burn? No matter how you turn your hand, you can feel the fire's touch. With my eyes closed, I could point to it. And with every breath, I hoped I wouldn't be consumed. As of last night, it was my destiny to try to snuff the fire with my bare hands. The thought must have shone on my face. This isn't my place to say, Shima said. But thank you. You're going to free them, save us, I know it. I shrugged, uncomfortable. I wasn't some hero Lance from ages past. 
I was a ward of the church, given up as a child so I wouldn't starve. I was as likely to doom the world as I was to save it. But if Shima was any indication, there were people who still believed in the church. People who still felt safe. Maybe my mother would understand after all. Shima stopped at the building larger than the pub that sat near the end of a narrow street. Large windows lined both floors, the shutters on most thrown wide. I'll wait, Shima said. Her hands went back to wringing the same spot in her skirts. You don't need to, I said. I appreciate the offer, but if she's not in, I'll start for the fallen land. If you're certain, Shima said. But she was already turning, obviously grateful. Thank you again, I called after her. She must have had business that she'd forgotten about back at the Crystal Tower. She waved back and turned a corner, leaving me to myself. Well, my mother was either waiting inside or she wasn't. Either way, my hesitation was paid for by the pain for those in the Fallen Land. Straightening my scarf, I knocked on the door. One moment! A muttering voice and low thumps approached. A latch slid free, and the door creaked open on hinges that had likely never seen oil. Best not be wasting. The woman's words trailed off as she saw me. She was older, with stark white hair, and frown lines so deep they looked like fissures. Her left leg ended in a blocky peg that didn't quite look like a foot. She leaned on a carved wooden cane, held with her right hand. I knew the moment she saw the sword. Her neutral expression hardened to explain the lines around her mouth and brow. What do you want, Clinker? I'm looking for Avara. This is her work? She's working. What are you here for? I kept my tone patient. She's my mother. I'd see her before setting out. I gestured the sword, though I didn't need to. And you're so special you assume she has time for you? The woman looked about to spit. You think chasing a child's story is more important than the work we do here? You're not special. Just the first fool to try since... The church thanks you for suffering this interruption, I said dryly. If anyone understood why some resented the church, it was me. But I could only indulge her disrespect so long. She waved dismissively, turning from the doorway. On the other side of the modest entry room sat a high-backed chair, and beside it, a basket with wool and knitting needles. Settling into the chair, the old woman pointed to the next room. Upstairs to the right. Don't wander and don't dwaddle. With a small smile, I followed her directions. Clothiers and fine rug makers within the walls would have large, complex looms that multiple people spent their lives learning to use effectively. By contrast, this building had room after room filled with men and women in chairs, knitting the warm woolen blankets the church passed out to refugees. 
One man finished with his blanket, folded it, and stood. With a dragging leg, he crossed the short space to add the blanket to a stack near the wall. Careful not to knock them over again, Barad, laughed a woman settled deep into a padded chair with wheels. If you keep bringing that up, I'll make you refold them, he growled with a smile. Their conversation died off as I passed. I reevaluated the grouchy old woman who ran the place. Women like her, women like my mother, sometimes had trouble finding work even within the walls. The outer city was less kind. One had to be resourceful, clever, hard-working. This woman had found a way to help people while helping people. The stairway, when I found it, was narrow. I had to adjust the sword so it didn't scrape the wall. At the top were more doorways. To the right was a room bathed in light by an unshuttered window. My mother looked almost exactly as I remembered her. She had more gray in her hair, but it had the same braid down to stray strands that suggested she'd been distracted as she'd braided it. If her blouse and pants weren't the same color, they were still sturdy but well-worn. The scar down the side of her face, missing her eye and mouth by a finger's width, curved around her jaw in the same fishhook. She even had the same fragile smile when she looked up from her near-finished blanket and saw me. The smile shattered when she saw the sword on my back. What did you do? She asked breathlessly. You don't have to get up. I said, starting to her. But she had already set her work aside, and was pushing herself to her feet with a grimace. Despite her limp, she met me halfway, her arms wrapping around me. What did you do? She asked again, her head on my shoulder. Her voice splintered into shards that cut to hear. After all we did for you, doesn't matter how safe the city is if the whole world is dead, I said, my hands careful on her back. Somehow, logic felt weaker as she wept quietly in my arms. I've had my safety, my happiness. Now I can make sure other children have theirs. My mother backed away to arm's length. For a moment, she seemed to be chewing on her words. You've made up your mind, then. First the high canter, and now her. They treated me like a child throwing a tantrum. Like hiding under their beds from the horrors would save them, and anything else was folly. I have been called by our god. I gestured impatiently to the sword. It's a little late for doubts. Someone else will... No one has. I shook my head. This isn't someone else's problem. There's a land waiting for me. People who need help. They're already dead. There are people still living who need you more. Olmi is dead too. Should we leave them trapped? I asked. My mother's mouth opened, but all she managed was a gasp. Ashamed, I carried on. Some things couldn't be taken back. Or is that different? Are they more real if I've met them? 
Does their suffering matter more? She wielded her finger like a knife. Your father died for you. To make sure you got here. And you throw it all away. He died. I started my voice shaking. Something welled up inside, long settled and forgotten, like a volcano suddenly engulfing a city. Heat like lava spilled from my lips. He died because the church started leaving people trapped in horror forever. Because nowhere but Ymrit is safe from it. He died because the church is so busy guarding the city that the world's left to rot. He died because they failed. I'm not going to fail like they have. Somehow I'd kept my voice from rising, but that only honed it sharper with each word. Her face was closed, as brittle as her smiles had been, but somehow even colder. I started to turn away, but her hands caught my shackle. Just please come home safe. I... I couldn't promise something I had no way of knowing. Instead, I said, I love you. I love you, she answered. She was crying as I left. This has been Chapter 3 of An Altar on the Village Green, from Book One of The Chained God, written by Nathan Hall, edited by Sarah Chorn, original print cover by Luke Tarzian, and podcast cover by Van Fulfs. Copyright 2021 by Nathan Hall, all rights reserved.